Father, uh, we're grateful for the day that is coming to a close now. We thank you for the calling to love and serve you in this world and for your blessing upon our labors. We thank you um, that we yet have the leisure to continue in our studies and now as they draw to a close, we pray you'd be with us in these last two chapters and that we would profit from knowing of these extraordinary things to come. And we pray all of this for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, I, I hope you're all uh, uh, impressed by my attire this evening. No response? <laughs> Bonnie, nice. <laughs> I mean, I hope you, sh you realize what it signifies. That somewhere I have Irish genes. I didn't see anyone else wearing green for St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, it's hard to tell that it's actually green on the screen. <laughs> <It's>, uh... <laughs> oh, after all my efforts, I had to dig this shirt out of the bottom of... Uh... <laughs> actually, Jenny had to, but in any case. All right. Well, let's begin. Any questions from last week? Uh, you've thought a little more, perhaps, about the second coming, the general resurrection or judgment seat? Anything you'd like to raise or reflect on? All right. Then we have two chapters left. Uh, and then I hope we'll have some time for some conversation uh, about our um, study of the book and to hear from you all about it. Uh, so we take up uh, probably one of the most difficult um, doctrines in the Bible, um, Young Jonathan Edwards brought up, of course, in a in the home of a Calvinist minister and on the shorter catechism and so on. Yet, uh, though he believed all these things as a young man, he said he thought this was a horrid doctrine and that um, he, he thought it was abhorrent. And in a striking way, he identifies indications of his conversion later in life when he came to see that this was right and just of God. Um, and uh, it's a very, very interesting testimony he wrote up later about his thinking and how it progressed. And, uh, and you know, of course, that um, Edwards in that whole tradition didn't think you were a Christian just because you believed all the truth of the Bible. Uh, they believed that James taught that uh, uh, the demons believed all the truth, but they were horrified by it. They trembled. And so uh, it wouldn't have seemed incongruous that Edwards grew up believing all the things the Shorter Catechism summarized about Bible teaching and yet at the same time didn't think of himself as a convert until later. But in any case, very difficult doctrine and... Um, not so difficult in Edwards's day, culturally, virtually everybody believed this was true. Um, but Dr. Packer sets the stage for us in that our particular cultural circumstances, uh, where there's such an exalted optimism about uh, what humankind is capable of and what an impoverished idea of God, uh, it, and, and a profound 
rebellion against the idea that anybody's law had to apply in me except my own law. All of those things combine uh, to, uh, to, to make a cultural context where believing these truths is about as difficult as any set of truths um, that we have given to us in the Bible. Um, now we've uh, been greatly helped in our study of Dr. Packer because he doesn't have a, a sentimental secularism. Uh, he has a very realistic view of human nature and a glorious understanding of God. And so all of that has helped to set the stage for us, at least, to take this doctrine seriously as we come to it. Um, the um, but he wants to say, however difficult it may be, that the doctrine of hell is in the scripture an essential part of the Christian faith and that all believers have an obligation to try and understand it as it's unfolded uh, in the New Testament writings in particular. Uh, so he notices um, that the uh, New Testament view of hell um, the uh, as the final abode of those who come under judgment at the last judgment, um, that um, this is a, a, a terrible place. And um, it, it's interesting here. He mentions the word that Jesus uses, Gehenna. Uh, it was a, a, a place of trash incineration outside the walls of Jerusalem. Um, and that word, Gehenna, is used 12 times in the New Testament, 11 times by Jesus, and then once uh, by James. So that it is not an understatement to say that um, we would have no doctrine of hell in the New Testament for all intents and purposes, were it not for the teaching of our Lord. Now, never forget um, Dr. Gerstner reflecting on that fact at one point. And and wondering if it wasn't a mercy of God that this was such a hard doctrine that he, he said we wouldn't be able to receive it from anybody but Jesus himself. Uh, but that's the truth of it. Um, the doctor, doctrine comes principally from the lips of Jesus. Uh, and it is a place of about as total distress and misery as can be imagined. These things are conveyed, Dr. Packer notes, uh, through symbols. Um, the, uh, but he further urges that the reality that the symbols point to are not less in the dreadfulness, but rather more so. The symbols are needed because it is so dreadful that we, we can't imagine anything in literal discursive terms that... Um, conveys uh, the misery of the place. So that the idea, R.C. used to say, people come up to me and say, oh, well, these are just symbolic terms, right? <laughs> and he'd always say, are you relieved by that? <laughs> Don't you get why the symbols are being used? Because it's too terrible for prose. <laughs> but um, the uh, uh, Dr. Packer identifies two purposes uh, for this teaching about hell. One, we're about to look at, that is, it's meant to be appalling to us. 
And two, this is over on page 263, it's to make us uh, appreciate uh, the extraordinary character of the grace that saves us from that terrible destiny. So let's look to those two purposes. The first, it's meant to be appalling. Um, the, um, and um, in a nice turn of phrase, Dr. Packer says that uh, um, it, it assures us that as heaven will be better than we could dream, hell will be worse than we can conceive. Um, he starts by talking about how we think about this. He says, um, it's critical to understand it's not merely uh, um, a, a, a terrible place. It's certainly not, as people will often say, that hell is the absence of God. But rather, he says, it conveys a negative relationship to God. So that those consigned to that place are in the presence of God, but in the presence of his uh, unmitigated wrath and displeasure. Uh, and uh, there's the loss of all that is good in this world, and um, it, it negates every experience of God's goodness that they've known throughout life in God's kind providences. Um, the, um, the judgment, Dr. Packer notes, two observations, that it's unending and it's self-chosen. Hell is unending, uh, and he notes there, those who have tried to come up with ways to avoid the scripture's plain teaching on it, the terms that are used are the very same terms that refer to God's unendingness, his eternality. Uh, but in any case, there have been those who speculated about a second chance after death or who supposed that after a certain period of punishment there would be annihilation of the ungodly. But there's no scripture warrant for that at all, and I would add to what Dr. Packer says, that it's at odds with the Catholic little c faith um, that has embraced the gospel since its beginning. Um, there, there have been times when the churches uh, tussled about it, but that's true, of course, for the Trinity as well. But the overwhelming witness of the churches to this doctrine, although it was mitigated throughout the Middle Ages, and it was the Reformation itself that brought it back in its biblical fullness because the, the Reformation was a return to Scripture. It's seen as self-chosen, uh, that is, that um, anybody who is self-conscious with respect to these things know that by loving darkness rather than light, by choosing that God should not be their Lord, though he is their creator and is giver of every good, but rather wanting to be a law unto themselves, and if they had heard the gospel, in rejecting Jesus. But these things are not tied to hearing the gospel. This is just what natural revelation or general revelation would have revealed. And in all of that, those choices, uh, the person has decided that the only presence of God that they'll know is God in opposition to their disobedience. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. 
against the ungodliness and uh, thanklessness of men and women. Um, the uh, and Dr. Packer concludes the first uh, paragraph on 263 by saying that those in hell will know not only that for their doings they deserve it, but they'll know also in their hearts that they chose it. Now we come to the second purpose. Uh, this is a much happier purpose, um, and that is that um, it's intended to make us appreciate uh, the amazing grace um, that saves us from the wrath to come. Um, the um, And, in fact, because of this dual character that it, it ought to uh, um, horrify us at that terrible end and help us to see how extraordinary is God's grace to those in Christ Jesus. Um, that it's a mercy then that the doctrine has been revealed in the scripture because it's for the good of people. Um, um, one opponent of Jonathan Edwards later sophisticated New Englander uh, said he was a sadist who uh, had a terrible delight in um, scaring women and children with his uh, abhorrent doctrine of hell in his preaching. And Gerstner noted that in, if Edwards was a sadist, since he certainly believed the doctrine were true, he'd never tell anybody. And uh, gleefully, in, in his quiet, see people perish. He preached it so uh, powerfully, out of a huge sense of benevolence, that the gospel was the only possible thing to remove a person from such an end. Um, now, let me add a couple of points here, uh, or just well, I'll make a reference for you to read further if you wish, and. Uh, let me notice this. The, um, one of the reasons why it can be so hard for us to, to um, see the doctrine is that we don't see people right now the way they really are seen by God in their disobedience. And at the end, it won't be that way anymore. Everyone will look like what they are. And uh, uh, that vision of unmitigated wickedness, of hatred for God and for others, will be appalling itself, and it will help to keep there from being any uh, sentimentalism about the whole matter. What tempers heaven's view of hell, then, is that we will see those under judgment as they are. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about this in a wonderful essay called The Weight of Glory. And uh, he puts it this way. He says it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest most uninteresting person you can talk to may be one day a creature which, if you saw it now, 
you would be strongly tempted to worship it. Or else, a horror and such a corruption, such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of those destinies. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. I, I, I think that's one of the most remarkable passages Lewis ever wrote. Um, and it, uh, I read it early and it has stayed with me my whole life as something quite luminous to help address the question that I raised. Well, I'll stop and let you raise some questions, but first let me say that if you would like to read more on the subject, the classic work uh, from American Presbyterianism in the 19th century is by a man called W.G. T. Shedd, S-H-E-D-D. It's entitled The Doctrine of Endless Punishment. It was published by Banner of Truth, but I think they've let it run out of print, but there are versions of it all over on the Internet. And especially chapters 1 and 2 are worth your time. Uh, Chapter 1 is on the history of the doctrine, its development in the church, and chapter 2 is a very close study of the biblical material. Uh, And it's just a little book, so you're not giving your life away. It's just a skinny little thing. But uh, he was an extraordinary scholar, and uh, if that would be the uh, next place if you wanted to read more deeply on the subject. Well, questions about what Dr. Packer has said or anything I've said? No? Somebody trying to get Dave, my... are there are there particular sermons by Edwards um, that you would point us to on... I guess on hell in this case. Yeah. Um, Probably the most extraordinary sermon is entitled The The Justice of God in the Damnation of Sinners. It is a thoroughgoing theodicy. Um, And uh, just inexorable in the movement of the argument. Um, But... There are a host of them. Uh, If you have access to Dr. Gerstner's three volumes, uh, the next to the last chapter in the third volume is on Edward's preaching of hell. And there virtually every sermon that um, uh, he ever preached uh, is in some way, on that doctrine, is some way taken up. Um, The... um, uh, He has... Uh, of course, the one that everybody heard, has heard of, uh, the justice or um, sinners in the hands of an angry God, um, a- as a imprecatory sermon, um, 
that uh, it's unfair, but if anybody's ever heard of Edwards, they've probably only heard of him through that sermon. It is a remarkable thing, but it, it, it is so far outside of our context that when kids read it in a high school literature anthology, uh, you know, there's absolutely no way on earth for them to even comprehend what. I'll never forget that I used to go to Ethics and Public Policy Center fairly frequently many years ago, and uh, the uh, there was a man who was part of the group that would have conversations, and uh, um, he was a Greek Orthodox, and he uh, was teaching a course in American religious history at American University at the time. And when he heard that I uh, had been a student of Edwards's thinking and knew a good bit about it, he asked if I would come and uh, take one class to introduce Edwards. And uh, he said, would you uh, go over sinners in the hands of an anchor God? Because that's the text that we have in our book. (laughs) And I said, sure, I'll jump off a building too. But, uh, you know, because these kids... Uh, they just had no idea. But I, I went, and they were very generous, and uh, uh, we very carefully went through the sermon. I explained all the parts, the movement of ideas, the biblical texts. And it was remarkable to me, because they went from looks of appalled astonishment to beginning to take it seriously and engage, because they could see this enormous mind at work in the course of the sermon. And uh, by the end, we had a really profitable discussion. But for the most part, uh, that sermon's an albatross around Edward's neck. Um, but uh, that'd be a few things to mention. I, 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 I could, If you're interested, I, I'll send around a few more. I just nothing's coming to me very quickly. That's helpful, thanks. Uh, Bill and Bonnie. They, just to clarify, um, when Packer makes the point that hell is a destiny that is self-chosen by individuals, um, that, that choice is as a result of both general revelation and um, and if if um, if they are encountered with the the revelation of, of the spirit in scripture uh, and the and the abject rejection of either, correct? Yes, it's uh, the passage he's thinking of is the text in Romans one, right? Um, that uh, God made Himself known to them. Uh, but they didn't see fit to acknowledge God. Thus, he gave them up to a debased mind. Uh, uh, and in 32 of that, uh, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice these things deserve to die, and not only do them, give, but give approval to others who practice them. Yeah. So he, he's saying that general revelation or natural revelation, that tale uh, gets through. Um, and the, uh, but as Dr. Dr. Gershner used to say that, uh, we could know that God was through natural revelation. We could know that God was infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. (laughs) And he's angry. 
so yes, but then and so um, uh, uh, maybe it's worth underlining that point, Bill. Um, nobody ends up in eternal um, uh, penalty because they didn't hear of Jesus. They end up there because as creatures, they rebelled against their creator and didn't want him in their thinking. They chose darkness rather than light and so on. That's that's the fundamental point. And then if, by the way, in God's providence, they had ever come to hear the gospel and rejected it, that would add to their uh, criminality. Uh, That that is is never the sole source of it. Is, am I addressing what you were wanting to get at, Bill? Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead, Bob. I think so, thanks. All right. Other thoughts? Dave? Yeah. Um, just a, a question. Um, so the end of that sentence, they, they actually, uh, I think what Bill was referring to and Packer all receive what they actually choose. And the end of that sentence is, that um, they should be worshiping him or without God forever, worshiping themselves. So we think of people who are idol worshipers. Does that boil down to actually just worshiping yourself? Yes, at the end of the day. And uh, Isaiah kind of hints at that in his mocking of the idol maker. He, he plants the tree and it grows up and uh, he uses part of it for the fire and then he uh, carves the thing out himself and then he worships. Well, I mean, he knows he is the source of all of that. I see. He's the maker okay. of that God. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Anything else on this? So in, in, when people are in hell, are they alone or are they, um, is there any sort of group? Um, Edwards thought, certainly thought that, um, you know, that Edwards anticipated Jean-Paul Sartre by, what, two centuries. Uh, you know, Sartre said hell is other people. Now, he meant hell is other people in this world, but uh, Edwards certainly thought that, that part of the misery would be the company of people you were united with. To all milk of human kindness and solace would be emptied, and it would be just a place of unrelenting hatred. Okay. And then, kind of related to that, the I think it was Milton who kind of gives us this idea of hell as being kind of like Satan's headquarters. Right. But isn't the correct view that like Satan's loose in the world until God will? banish him to hell one yeah, day? Yes, the final banishment. I mean, but yes, I, I, I think that's what Packer understands, and I, I think there's scripture indication that until Christ returns and the final destruction of Satan's uh, rule, uh, as he's now the prince of the power of the air, uh, but that will all come to an end. Okay, so he's never been to hell as of now. Um, he, he, um, remember, uh, there, 
there surely is place, but remember that place is not the chief point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's relationship. And so he's in hell now in that respect, that he is the object of the unmitigated wrath of God. Mm-hmm. Um so in that respect, he's already suffering hell, just not in a complete or final way. And the lake of fire in Revelation, that has more of the, the locality, I guess, in it? As the place. It, it, well, it's pointing to the idea of locality. Again, I'm not sure that we need to think that there's a literal lake of fire, but that as horrifying as that should be, that is the the thing that's most essential to our life, water, the thing that we are made up of, the the thing that we would, we could go without food for some weeks. You can't go for more than a few days without water. I mean, to have that which is so crucial to our well-being now be pictured as the most horrifying kind of threat to burn. I think that's what we're getting at with that. I don't necessarily think that um, we ought to be ex- expecting, you know, a topographical map of some place called hell that would have lakes and mountains and so on. Yes, Chris. Before it uh, slips away here, and we go to the next chapter. I just, I want to say the very end of this section looking at it again now i mean i'm really struck i'm i may be jumping the gun a little bit here dave i know you wanted us to talk about <laughs> reflections on the whole of this book but one of the things i've loved about this book one of many things is the concision of concise theology that results in a ringing clarity at the end i mean at, at certain parts all throughout but it's like look, look at the last two sentences it is really a mercy to mankind that god in scripture is so explicit about hell we cannot now say we have not been warned. That is, first of all, so true, but it, it just hit it just hit me. You know, I mean, it's so counter to what the culture thinks. Yes. And it's counter to what a lot of evangelical culture thinks. I mean, it, you know, in recent years, you know, there's been popular books about questioning about the idea of hell. I remember seeing a contemporary Christian artist who I respect, respected a lot, still do, but toward the end he died shortly after i saw him but he was he said it in concert you know i i, I struggle with this idea such god is so loving and merciful that you know, he could eternally punish and i mean i've i've certainly pondered that and thought about it but you get back into the bible and you just can't escape it That's i mean right. it's just there and i just love the way packer puts it it's not just not just that it's there it's not something to be fe- i mean it's a fearful doctrine but it's a mercy. It's yes. a mercy that you that he's so clear about it. Yeah. You, sh- you should tr- you should thank God for it and yeah. tremble, but also be grateful. And uh, anyway, absolutely, just, great just point, pray. Chris. Great point. All right, let's press on to um, the uh, as it were polar opposite, much happier consideration. Last chapter of the book, a great way to end the book. Uh, heaven. God will welcome his people into everlasting joy. And that precious text uh, from Jesus heads it up. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in, also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you uh, also may be where I am. A wonderful promise. Uh, so Dr. Packer begins by talking about the words that are used. They have multiple senses. The words heaven in their most literal sense just means sky. Um, and uh, in the Hebrew cosmology, there are sort of multiple heavens in, in tandem. Uh, but overall, the idea when we're uh, speaking in this context, it's a place uh, that's God's dwelling it's from the, the place from which he rules, uh, the place uh, that um, the glorified Christ went to to join uh, his father. And it is uh, the place where uh, uh, folk gather and worship to God. And it's the place one day where we'll be with our Savior forever. Um, again, symbols are used. Uh, it's a, a place of rest, it's a city, it's a country. Um, and at some po- uh, point, uh, at the time of Christ's return, um, it, it's going to be sort of a restructured uh, cosmos, uh, the new heavens and the new earth. Um, the same idea as with hell Dr. Packer puts it nicely at the bottom of 264. To think of heaven as a place is more right than wrong. Now, but get that implies that nevertheless, there's something not fully uh, uh, solid there. Um, And I think that uh, uh, the first thing is to say is that um, in uh, like hell, where it's where God is present with his people, not in wrath, but with no wrath whatsoever, but only unmitigated love and delight in his people. That's what heaven is. And the spatial framework is beyond our getting at entirely. Um, Dr. Packer has a go at it saying that it... Uh, it's it is the very bottom of uh, 264, a spatial reality that touches and interpenetrates all created space. <laughs> well, that's a great phrase. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure uh, how to th- think about what's being said there. But um, in any case, what I've just said, I think, uh, will help you with it. Um, in both cases, what we're talking about heaven and hell, a relationship, a relationship with God either in unmitigated wrath or God in his unmitigated joy and pleasure in his people. Um, So uh, on 265, I think one of the most wonderful things that is pointed out, there's in the middle of that paragraph that had begun on the previous page, um, that we should think about the resurrection body as perfectly adapted to the life of heaven. Um, And this is a a wonderful restoration of creation. Remember, uh, we said that um, the, uh, the body that Adam and Eve had came from the earth, 
but it was so that they could love and live and serve God as bodily creatures. Their body was perfectly adapted to the world. The world was perfectly adapted to their body. And uh, in heaven, we're going to be in a place that is perfectly adapted to the resurrection body to live in its fullest. Um, the, um, the realities of heaven aren't uh, visible to us now. We only know them by faith. Um, but nevertheless, by faith, they are realities to us. Um, and uh, it, it ought to be very much a part of our sense of the world, what the world is like, uh, that such an experience is waiting for us. So, Dr. Packer wants to give us some ways to help uh, think about it. Uh, the first full paragraph on 265, Scripture teaches. Um, he identifies three uh, ways on which we form notion of life in heaven. He calls them extrapolating, eliminating, and enriching. Extrapolating. We take the good experiences we have now, but are less than perfect, and we extrapolate from there to the idea of a perfect relationship, free from all limitation, frustration, and failure. There's elimination. We take the idea of our life now and all the things that diminish it, pain, evil, conflict, etc., and we remove those from any possibility of experiencing them in heaven. And then finally, see enriching, that is to say, that um, um, everything that we can think of in terms of the excellence of creation and uh, God's uh, the God-given capacity we have to enjoy that excellence, uh, um, we should think of life being full of that uh, enriching. And I think those are three wonderful uh, counsels and that it's certainly worth at different times when you get in quiet to let your mind run uh, according to those counsels to think about heaven and let that be an enticement to you to uh, uh, live so as to finally make your way there in your pilgrimage. Um, heaven is a place of joy. Um, and Dr. Packer here identifies four elements uh, that lead to that joy being constant. Um, vision, experience, fellowship, and growth. First, there'll be the vision of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, now through glass, darkly, then, as it were, face to face. And that will be extraordinary joy. Um, second, um, the ongoing experience of Christ's love. It's going to lead to greater and greater joy to know that we're loved and cared for by him. Thirdly, the fellowship that we'll have with uh, our uh, fellow believers will be an occasion for joy. And then finally, uh, the continued growth and maturing, enrichment of all our abilities and enlargement of the powers that God has given us. Um, the uh, In heaven, Dr. Becker concludes, there will be no un fulfilled desires. Um, 
without any notes, there's different degrees of blessedness uh, revealed in Scripture and different degrees of reward in heaven. Different degrees of blessedness, but he says no one will feel like they're not blessed, but rather there'll be a, a, a difference in capacities between people, just as they are in this world. And he says with respect to rewards, yes, uh, there are some that will have greater rewards than others, but he has two very crucial qualifications to that. The first is that that these ought to be rewards with scare quotes around them, Uh, because, he says, when God rewards our works, he's crowning his own gifts. It was God's work in us that allowed us to work in faithfulness to him. And so it's it's all of grace. Uh, and second, and this is a very interesting point, the essence of the reward is just more of what we desire. Um, it, it isn't... Um, uh, well, n- notice the last sentence. The reward is pa- parallel to the reward of courtship, which is enriching of the love relationship itself through marriage. This is a point that Lewis makes at some length. Uh, When he talks about um, uh, a mercenary element in service or gratitude, that I'm trying to get something for myself. And some people have criticized the idea of reward or uh, grateful responses because of that. But you see, Lewis is saying, no, this is a different kind of reward. It's not like uh, uh, if I work, I get paid. And so the the work and the pay are two different categories. And there's an element of the mercenary in it. Uh, I I want to get paid. I may not like the work. But this imagery of courtship, what's the reward of courtship? If you woo your lover to marry you, it's more love. It's an enriching of the very same thing that you were pursuing in the courtship. What you've won is what you were winning through the whole period, and now it continues to grow. So, for example, the the reward. Well, I mean, my parents tried this. Uh, They tried to pay me so that I would do my Latin studies. Now, at the end of the day, that was a way to help a kid get a grade. (laughs) But that wasn't the proper reward of learning Latin uh, lexography and and grammar. The reward of learning Latin is reading things in Latin. It's having the facility to to enjoy the, the extraordinary literature. Uh, that's in that language. And uh, you, you could think of it in case after case. So you, do you see that's the, the point then about the rewards? Um, so uh, his next last paragraph, beautiful summary. Uh, the life of heaven, heavenly glory is a compound. Seeing God in and through Christ, being loved by Father, Son, and the Spirit, and all the rest of the people there. Um, work, praise, worship and fellowship with the Lamb and the saints. A beautiful picture. Um, And the last point, endless. Um, 
the uh, uh, eternity is part of its glory, says endlessness, you might say, is the glory of glory. Um, and then the beautiful little closing bit on 267. Hearts on earth say in the course of a joyful experience, I don't want it to end, but it invariably does. The hearts of those in heaven say, I want this to go on forever, and it will. There can be no better news than this. Well, an extraordinary doctrine. Let me, before I go to questions, recommend two things to you from Edwards. Um, I've mentioned that Edwards is famed as a preacher of uh, warning against hell. Uh, But I don't think there are any better sermons in the history of the church on heaven that are even in Edwards' class. He much more loved to speak of our Lord's hope set before us that we would be with him. And one of the greatest of them is Heaven, a World of Love. It's a sermon on 1 Corinthians 13, 13, 8-10. And that's on our website. Uh, If you go um, to uh, uh, resources, articles, and then under Edwards. The second is the way the doctrine of heaven functions in the Christian life uh, in a sermon called The Christian Pilgrim. That is also at the website. Uh, It's a sermon on Hebrews 11, 13-14. If you've never read either of those, don't let this year uh, be over without reading them. They, They are magnificent sermons. Um, so, um, reflections, questions on heaven. All right, well, I'm not seeing anything. Let me, uh, here, here's what I wanted to do. Uh, throughout our three parts, we've said that, uh, Uh, The goal we've been pursuing is that theology is for doxology and devotion. Uh, We wanted to glorify God. We wanted to learn to live devoted to him. Um, And we wanted to pursue this study, uh, aware that we're doing it in the very presence of the God we're studying. Um, And uh, and so that we wanted to be something that was very personal and... um, Dr. Packer compared it to uh, it leading us to sing to God's glory. And you remember Pastor Wolf's wonderful uh, coda to that. Is, uh, Thus we've been at choir practice these Wednesday nights over this last so many months. Uh, we've been learning to sing to God's glory through learning about him and what he's done for us. Um, so I guess my question is tonight, what have you learned to sing? <laughs> um the uh, um, some, something that especially touched you in a chapter or two, or um, something you were challenged by, or um, there's we have gone over now 94 discrete <laughs> subjects, and uh, so any anybody want to pitch in here? Oh, no, you go ahead. No, I think I think you're the only one who spoke, Kate. Oh, okay. 
I love many of the chapters, but I love especially the one on adoption. Mm. That was a beautiful chapter. Oh, that's a great, great point. Um, he, Dr. Packer is outstanding on that doctrine. Um, and I think I must mention then his chapter on adoption, knowing God is really wonderfully elaborates even further. Uh, but thanks, Kate. Anybody else a thought? Um, I, I have some thoughts. Yeah, good. Um, so, um, Packer is able to do in a book that is, um, 267 pages long and it seems like Calvin's institutes are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> it's totally amazing that Packer can do this. Um, and it is so important and we get it in such a short version, but so concise and so biblical. Um, and it, what it reminds me of is that that we um, we must each of us hold these principles as our own. We can't say, well, Dave Coffin or Packer says this true. This is true, and if they say it's true, then I'll believe it. I mean, we have to struggle with these things through reading the Bible, checking the Bible, learning um, more deeply what the Bible says and have our own opinion. I don't know if that's the right conclusion word or yes, but um, we can't have our own private conclusion or opinion that um, because it has to be the right one, in a sense. I don't know if I'm saying this correctly. We well, can't... yeah, you, each one of us has to have our uh, thinking rooted in God's word directly. Yes. T teachers help you to get there, but what you're saying is you've got to have your own convictions that this is what God's word teaches. And one of the great things about the book, I think, is that... Uh, I don't think there's a scripture that Dr. Packer has missed of any importance on any of those chapters that he's taken the, taken up. So mm -hmm. you have a wealth of scripture text to go back to anytime you want to re refresh, renew, um, check right. your thinking. I think I think of this last one of um, that we can't have a private opinion as we're in the culture we live in. We're so used to hearing, well, that's just who I am, meaning that's an excuse. The way I have, you know, the way I am, selfish, you know, or I don't know, throwing in whatever we're claiming, um, doesn't, uh, I, I, I can't claim that. I have to keep being challenged by these things. Right. Right. Um, and um, anyway. Good point. There was, um, 
part in Calvin's Institutes that I wanted to read that seemed like it was so good. Um, indeed, how can the mind by its own leading come to search out God's essence when it cannot even get to its own? Let us then willingly leave to God the knowledge of himself. Um, he is the one fit witness to himself and is not known except through himself. But we shall be leaving it to him if we conceive to be as he reveals himself to us. Without inquiring about him elsewhere than from his word. Mm. It just seemed like it was so well said. Yes. Um, that we can't take cultural concepts and think, oh, God should be like this. Right, yeah. Anyway, so that's, Wonderful. I just love Packer's concise way of saying all this stuff. Thank you. Who else? Anybody want to reflect on our... I'll chip in something, something, Dave, and it really kind of piggybacks on what Jenny just just said. Um, and what, what struck me... I think just in kind of uh, on the breadth of the um, the whole book, not a particular chapter, is is just you know he gives very kind of succinct statements, and then he just backs it up all, with all the scripture references. And I, I didn't look at I didn't go back and look at well, you know every one of those references, but he must have quoted something or at least referred to almost every book of the Bible. And that's like the, one of the most amazing. You think about all these doctrines and you think, oh, you know, you're going to go to the New Testament and the Gospels or, or Paul's teaching, but he's got them all throughout um, the scripture and, you know, pretty much every book of the Bible mm. um, is is somewhere referenced. I, I, don't, I don't remember ever seeing a reference to Philemon, but other than... <laughs> You know, I, I, I think he's, he's, he's hit pretty much, you know, m most of the books of the Bible. And it's just amazing to think about, you know, you know that the whole Bible is God's word, but, you know, you're kind of drawn to certain pieces of it. Uh, and then he's got, you know, in, in this study, he, you're basically getting a whirlwind systematic theology tour of, uh, with, you know, that really goes through every, you know, touches on every book of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. That's certainly true. I, I, I'll tell you, Steve, um, if I can get my computer to cooperate with me. Um, no, it's not wanting to cooperate. <laughs> Hold on one second. I have printed out every text uh, from concise theology, um, except there may be two or three places where he uh, cited like four chapters. <laughs> uh, and I have 301 pages of 12-point text. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that remarkable? Yeah. Thank you, Steve. That was great. Bill and Bonnie. My turn. Mine's similar to what Steve was saying and Jenny too, just that I'm, there's not one specific chapter that stood out separate from the others, other than the fact that 
One thing I was thinking about is I'm so grateful that our high schoolers are going through this. It's just a wonderful blessing that this is something that they're being taught early on. And then the other thought that I had as we studied it is what a resource it is for me when I'm reading scripture and it comes up with a particular topic that is covered in here that I can use this to go to and look up other scripture references that he has because they are so thorough. And just what a blessing it is to get to know more about the Lord and more about what it means to love him. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bonnie. Dave? Yes. This is Greg. I just want to say that I appreciated the extra time that we took to go through the Westminster materials on the Ten Commandments. Oh. I just think that was helpful. I know, I mean, this is concise theology and there's, you know, a couple pages on the law and a couple pages on the law in action that Packer provides. But I just, I think having gone, taken the time to go through those, you know, each of the Ten Commandments and, you know, reflect on the extra material, I think really helped. I just, I think that was a very good aid. I mean, I don't want, I don't want to accuse Packer of glossing over something because I don't think he did, but I just think it's a, that was very helpful to the. Oh, wonderful. Grateful. Any other thoughts? One of the chapters I thought was particularly helpful was the wisdom of God distinguished between the revealed will of God found in scripture versus the secret will that we see through the course of providence. It's kind of a difficult subject, but I thought he'd help illuminate that. That's a great point. That is another very, very fine chapter. And somewhere, I can't remember where, but Dr. Packer published a broader essay on God and wisdom or the believer in wisdom, and it was published in a pamphlet. And it was enormously powerful in my life as a young person to be drawn away from this idea that living the Christian life was a little bit like being a detective. You had to look for clues all around in front of you as to what God wanted you to do. And if you were clever enough, you could gather the clues and it would lead you into the right direction. But if you weren't so clever or not attentive, you were just second class. And there were so many pernicious ways that teaching leads people to realize the secret things belong to God, but the things revealed belong to we and our children. And yeah, that's a great chapter, one worth returning to again and again, Austin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Dave, this is Paul. I think that's called Guidance and Wisdom. Yes, that is. And I remember reading that too, many, many, many years ago, but it was great. Oh, do you know, do you have a copy? You know, I think somewhere in this house is a copy. I have a feeling that somewhere in my library there is, but unfortunately my library's gotten a little out of control. As long as I'm unmuted, which is always a challenge, I'm not sure there was one chapter that stuck out. I agree with Greg Mattson very much. I thought the Ten Commandments additional bonus discussions were really exceptionally helpful. And, you know, in a funny way, I was involved in the, I guess it was a session meeting where you were thinking about what to teach on. And I have to admit, concise theology was my least favorite of the couple topics in play. And of course, what a bad judgment I had in that role. So I'm very delighted you went through with it. It's been wonderful. Great. Thank you, Paul. Well, let me say, I'd love to hear from more, but let me say that also, I've got two weeks more of my current misery with the Standing Judicial Commission. So we won't meet again next week, and then that'll be behind me. I have not settled on the next project for us, and I'd be glad for you to tell me what you're interested in studying about. So if you would email me things, topics that you might like to take up, that would help me in my thinking. Is this the chambers with the hand up, or is this from before? Yeah, it's still this time. I just wanted to mention, I missed, I didn't get every Wednesday night, but the chapter that Packer did so well, and I love the title, Enterprise. And, you know, I've never, you know, I don't know that we think of it, think of pleasing God as our enterprise. We don't use that term anymore. But the way he used it and the way he described it, I think is just really, really good. And I don't know that there's any other teacher that would call it that. I think it lends to thinking about it more when you use that term. Yes, yeah. What a delightful discovery that chapter was. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. Anyone else? Well, thank you all for joining together on this quest to make our way through. The Lord has allowed us to persevere and finally reach the end of our journey. Again, email me if you have some thoughts. I'd love to hear from you about where we would go. But it's been wonderful over these weeks, and I'm very grateful for your help. Let's pray together. Father, what a wonderful way to end our study to be thinking about heaven. And especially that it's a world of love. And when we think of the world of misery and woe that 
uh, we're largely caught up in now, yet we have known even something of that love now and your kindness toward us, your delight in us in Christ, our Savior's care, the Spirit's wooing us. And we've known something of that love with one another. And so to think of a world where no misunderstandings, no uh, failure to charitably interpret, no um, possible hint of darkness or um, discouragement, uh, but ever growth in relationships of love and kindness and delight. And we pray that that bright vision would illumine our lives as we truly are together pilgrims um, on the way to heaven. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.